0: Amen. So in um, Exodus chapter 20, we received the Ten Commandments and uh, a number of other directions and explanations are given there. And then in 21, specifically, the Lord gives directions how if they are going to uh, have servants, uh, that they should be freed in the seventh year. They can work for six years uh, for their debt and then uh, be freed in the seventh year. It talked about uh, capital punishment. Whoever kills should be put to death, and uh, you know anyone that injures someone um, should compensate that person. Twenty-two in these specific descriptions of the law, uh, you know, s- says specifically that whoever steals should make restitution and pay back um, and uh, learn the lesson and teach others not to live that way. And then uh, if a man were to sleep with a virgin, that he was required to marry her or pay the bride's price to her. Uh, That It is an effort to prevent that promiscuity in the culture. And then he uh, closed out 22 with the expression of not oppressing the strangers or the poor that were amongst them. And then you come to 23, and it says in verse 1, You shall not circulate a false report. So you know, delete Facebook and Twitter and you know all of the social media of our culture. Uh, really, you'd have to get a handle on our entire culture because our culture is obsessed with gossip. It's a useless thing, as far you know. I mean, it's more than useless. It's very destructive. But, you know, it doesn't, it, so many people think that it's going to accomplish something. Like, people need to know these things. It's it's so harmful uh, what people do. You know, you want to know what this is like if you think you've experienced it. Try being a pastor. You wouldn't believe the things I've heard about myself. People will talk to me, uh, you know, for some time. And, you know, I try, I'm always trying to get people around to, you know, Christianity, faith, Jesus, and, you know. There have been a handful of occasions where you mentioned Calvary Chapel down east, and people have heard some amazing stories. You know, sometimes when I listen to them, you know, I find a seed of truth in them, and that's you know worthy of consideration. But uh, you know, there's a, you know an ounce of truth in every pound of lie, so you need to look at things. But this false report, do not put your hand with the wicked. To be an unrighteous witness. Don't talk about other people. I've I've got a a rule of thumb I was taught many years ago in regard to gossip. It's it's very tempting. The scripture talks about how it's like a, a tasty truffle, something that you would want to eat, something that you would desire. Gossip, you hear it and you want to take it in. It invokes within us a desire. And the scripture is telling us to be cautious of. That to, to avoid it altogether, the, the rule of thumb that I go by is, are you part of the problem or part of the solution? Because if you're neither one of those things, then it's none of your business. If you're not part of the problem, then you don't need to hear it or share it. If you're not part of the solution, same goes. You've got nothing to say. It's not beneficial. It doesn't, doesn't produce anything good out of it, and think about that. Here's the Holy Spirit making sure it's recorded in the Scripture. We treat gossip like, oh, it's, yeah, that, that's something we probably should address. The, the Word of God address, you know, addresses it directly. You know, people, you know, look at those sins that are so egregious, and they, you know, want to point out, oh, well, that person horrible, and this one, and look, they were in the news. Are you aware that God lists gossips with murderers? In the scripture? False witness, right? Six things, yes, seven that are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs tells us. And then he goes on to say, one who tells lies, false report, you know, says things incorrect about his neighbor, causes division. Avoid that. Verse 2 You shall not follow a crowd to do evil along these same lines, right? because we have this mentality in our culture that if there are enough people saying it, then somehow it must be true. Nothing could be farther from the truth. You know, Just because everybody's on the bandwagon, in fact, you'll more often find that the more people that are on the bandwagon, very often that's the thing that's the most untrue. It's really a remarkable thing that we do as a culture, uh, believing things and following things. You know, <laughs> I'll give this example. I've talked about it a few different times. Uh, aliens. Right? You, you were hoping we'd discuss it this morning. You know what I'm saying? As far as I can tell, right? I'm not the expert on the issue. As far as I can tell, where the idea of aliens came from, UFOs, and, and if you're thinking, like I thought I was coming to a Bible study. I'm making the point about lying, gossips, following the crowd. <clears> the <throat> United States government had developed Area 51. It wasn't to keep secret aliens. Okay. It was to develop secrets. In particular, we developed an aircraft known as Oxcart. Okay. Uh, have you ever seen pictures of the SR-71 Blackbird? Like, I have lost this room. No one is with me. <clears throat> Big black jet, you know, just looks like a spacecraft. That's because it pretty much is. Uh, it, pl- it flies on average above seventy thousand feet above the Earth. It's a spy plane. That's what it is. The predecessor to the Ox, uh, to the uh, SR-71 Blackbird, was the Oxcart. That's that's what it was called, Oxcart. There's a code name, CIA was developing it. They built Area 51 to develop projects like this. Midway through the project, we discovered, through our spies in Russia during the Cold War, that uh, Russia had timed satellites and were taking very detailed photographs of our aircraft. So we started putting the aircrafts back in the hangar when we knew these satellites were passing overhead. Oh, by the way, this is all a documentary that you can watch on Oxcart. So this isn't, it's all been declassified now. So then what we discovered is they increased their time increment just mildly. Uh, We were ahead of them. We got our aircraft in. But what they were looking for was the fact that, you know, this is in Nevada and the intense heat of the sun is causing it to be that where the a- aircraft was sitting on the tarmac was shaded. The rest of the concrete is heated. And they're doing thermal imaging from the satellite so they can see a very detailed outline of our plane. So you know what we start doing? We start making big plywood cutouts of crazy-looking aircraft. No joke. Laying them down on the concrete. and you get a whole crew that puts all the plywood away when they put the airplanes away. So now when the satellite goes over, there's like 20 images on the ground of circles, with antennas, and what kind of aircraft are they building? We wreck a few. We did build a saucer, if you're not aware of it circular aircraft flown by the united states air force we wanted an omnidirectional airplane was just a circular wing it could fly in any direction and it flew we flew it a lot vertical lift up and down incredible speeds canada built the engines for it again all declassified crashed three of them one in the midwest one right there in nevada one in australia Right, handful of occasions, they passed within visual distance of commercial aircraft. So you're on your airplane, and you look out the window, and there's a flying saucer right there. And he stays right there, and he talks to the pilot, and now tells him, you're now part of the CIA's top secret program, and everybody on your plane, so land that aircraft right now and they put everybody on the ground and they say, this is your contract right here. You're now like a spy, we're gonna give you a paycheck for you to keep your mouth shut. And you gotta sign this contract right here. And we're gonna give you this little check and you go keep your mouth shut. And if you say anything, you are now committing treason and we're gonna put you in jail. Now the people that wanted to tell fantastic stories About there was an alien flying the aircraft. Those government agents would say, really? Tell me more. And the crazier they were, the more they promoted that person. They actually went through the efforts to get them speaking engagements about what they'd experienced. Please, go spread the lie. Go tell people about the aliens and the aircraft and the nonsense that's in your head. Please. Please. Oh, you were were diagnosed as a schizophrenic previous to seeing this? All the better. Because then when you tell people your story, they're not even going to look for whatever it is you saw. Again, this is a pet project of mine. Right? Because here's the thing. You wouldn't believe the people that their mindset is, oh, well, the aliens, they're just evolved humans. Right? What did Gene Roddenberry's bean dream there, Star Trek, tell us for years? You know, as you are, we once were, as we are, you someday will be. It's a theory of evolution, the science fiction of the whole thing. It's a lie, and people buy into it. The whole crowd is going that direction. They're going in a Christless evolutionary. Non creationism direction. Great numbers of people. It goes even further <clears throat> because right now, what's going on with that whole lie is the development of an idea. That there are aliens, and there are actually two different classes of aliens. The supreme intelligent beings that are going to come here and be our leaders someday and show us all the wonderful things we need to learn. There's another group of aliens who are incredibly evil, who are going to show up and steal all the people off earth. So we need to go to war against them. Now interlock that with what the scripture says about Jesus Christ returning and taking a whole bunch of people off the planet at once. The lie. The lie. Just because there are mass groups of people. Please, if you're right now thinking, I'm not going to get anything out of this Bible study. This guy just messed my mind. Throw all of that away. And just let your mind get back to the idea of just because everybody believes it does not make it true. Not even close. What we see, especially in regard to the truth of God's word is, there's going to be less and less and less of us all the time. It's going to take greater and greater faith to hold on to what we believe and to preach it to the world. We're going to sound crazier and crazier with every passing day. Praise God. Praise God. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. You got to hold to God's word. Do not follow the common opinion. Think about our culture right now. They're all banding together and, and agreeing. Okay. So, you know, what was previously known as sin in the Bible and in our culture, none of us like that anymore. We, we, we all want homosexual marriage, for instance, to be allowed. So everybody that wants homosexual marriage, you know, get to the vote, raise your hand, and everybody goes, you know, I and okay, so majority wins. And, and we're steering off course from what the Scripture has to say. It, it, again, it isn't a matter of, you know, trying to harm people. You know, that's the, what's being implied. Oh, you Christians hate homosexuals. Not at all. Well, maybe other people who claim to be Christians. I don't at all. Not even remotely. Love them to death. Want them to come here in this church and grow, Because we're going to share the truth of God's word with them. And pray that they be freed from their circumstance, the same as I was freed from my circumstance and you yours. Common opinion doesn't make a thing true. And it will pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Now, you you might think, like, uh, you know, you show partiality, favoritism, to the person who's wealthy. Right? If that guy's got a lawyer, got money, you know, we'll smooth things over for him. The same is true of the poor. Poor man does something wrong, and you think, well, Goodness gracious. I mean, after all, look how tough his life is. Let's be lenient on him. You're going to allow poverty to be a reason to corrupt the entire culture if you start doing that. We're not just thinking about the individual with what God is saying here. We're thinking about the whole picture. The whole picture needs to be a goodness and a graciousness within our culture that would care for the poor. But when the poor have broken the law, we need to have the same measure for each person. If you meet your enemy's ox, not ox cart, it's not like tiny, it's just ox. So if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. You know, the attitude, well, <laughs> God is good, you know. My enemy's possession is experiencing destruction. You You see your enemy step out of his vehicle and slam the door and walk away and it starts to roll down across the parking lot. And you're just thinking, well, I'll just be quiet. The, The scripture tells us we're responsible in that circumstance. If you see the donkey of one who hates you, Lying under its burden. So now the enemy isn't even present, right? It's just his possession. This donkey has collapsed. and You would refrain from helping it. You should surely help it or help him with it. You know, you've got to notify him and you've got to help him with it. This, this would happen. They get tired and they just lay down. And now that they're down, they can't stand back up under the load that they've laid down under. You've got to unload them get them back on their feet, reload them, tie everything on and send them on their way. You're thinking, well, I like to help people out. So that's, that doesn't apply to me. Do You like to help your enemies out? Do you have enemies? Are there people in your mind that you're thinking, I'd be blessed if I never had to see that person again? Do you have the mindset to help them in those circumstances? Your heart needs to be there. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. So, no partiality, right? You can't favor him, but then you can't take justice away from him either. You you can't let that monetary thing be the source of the judgment that you're passing. You need to have a very balanced approach to judging or, you know, settling disputes. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and the righteous. So I guess let's start with that first one. Do not keep yourself, or rather, keep yourself far from a false matter. If you see falsehood in it, or if you see falsehood in the person, just run away. Just run away. Don't have anything to do with it. You know, if you can recognize, well, I mean, over there he was conducting himself in falsehood. But, I mean, that's that situation. I'm over here dealing with this one. You want to stay away from them completely. You want to stay away from situations that have, uh, you know, elements to it that are false. Keep yourself out of it completely. Sort of thing that will come around and haunt you without any question. Do not kill the innocent. And the righteous. Now, specifically, this is talking about the spiritual, obviously. You know, a person who has done no wrong, the person who is, in fact, righteous, should not be part of that. Obviously, Jesus Christ would be the primary example of that. You know, someone who hadn't done anything wrong, who was put on trial and falsely accused and then killed. You know, you don't want to have anything to do with that. Our culture, you know, obviously. A lot of people want to get right to the issue of abortion on this. You don't kill the innocent. You know this, this week, you guys probably saw in the headlines, they you know, discovered in the home of a doctor uh, more than 2,200 medically preserved fetus that this doctor had aborted. Everybody's up in arms about what kind of freak is this guy? He was an abortion doctor, and he kept those fetuses, and they're all, you know, preserved somehow in his home, and he's got two thousand two hundred, you know, and better. That's just that's a sick thing. It's not sick that he kept them as much as it is that he killed them, you guys. The bigger issue is this man's taking life every single day that he was working. Our, our culture is. Lost on this idea, but you know, you go to a university and ask them if they can give you a definition of righteousness, (laughs) and just watch all the circuits pop. Righteousness uh, can only be defined by the Scripture, and if you if you're right now like compiling a list of oh yeah like there's that's going to be like All kinds of very serious detail. To be a righteous person. Not like self-righteous, but truly righteous. How would you do that? simply means to be right with God and man. That's what it means. To be right with God and right with man makes you righteous. Why are you going to do that? Are going to be really good? Nope. Not going to happen. It's it's not going to happen you will offend people and you will offend God. How, how are you going to be right with God and man? Grace. That's how you do it. And that's it. It's the only method. Again, that's not like your pass to go be a jerk. Here, just go offend everybody. That's, that's not what the scripture's saying at all, right? I am going to say and do things that require me to go back to people and say, ooh, I was off base there. Anyway, you could forgive me, please. And when we are worshiping the God of forgiveness, our heart is filled with that. And it should be, the automatic response is, to be gracious, kind, and forgiving. And that they would extend it back to us. You know, hopefully we rectify our behavior in the process and we don't continue in whatever it was that might have been offensive. But to be right with God and man... You know, this do not kill the innocent and the righteous. Our culture hates the innocent and hates the righteous. Worldwide, a really, really dangerous place. you, know, you consider,, you know, depending on whose numbers you listen to, but you know I'll just say, more than a million abortions <clears throat> every single year in America. You know the killing of the innocent, the hypocrisy of our nation. I'm wholeheartedly in agreement with the need for the United States military to help maintain peace and order around the world. I wholeheartedly support that idea. The world is full of thugs. And we need to have people out there that are willing to lay their lives on the line and protect the innocent. Needs to happen. Some bad people in the world. Yeah. The innocent are being continuously killed. We're going to go out and police the world and protect the innocent while we're at home killing more than a million of them on our own. The profound hypocrisy involved in that. I expect God's judgment looms over us large. For I will not justify the wicked. God is saying there's no way for you to mistreat my servants, you know, my prophets, my Messiah, and for you to be forgiven for that process. We want to be people that are far, far away from that. I'm, I'm particularly grieved. Um, you know, right now, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to preach politics, but, uh, you know, China right now has the largest slave labor force in the world. And it's run by their government. And the larger portion of that slave labor force, whether you're aware of this or not, are Christians. It's illegal to be a Christian in China. They capture people, they imprison them, and they put them to work in their mills and their factories. And then we buy all of their goods. It's a very, very unfortunate thing that I am standing here right now. I think everything I'm wearing was made in China. Am I supporting that? Are we supporting that? The political effort to change that, I think, is a righteous thing. For our culture to move away from supporting these very wicked people, even with our pocketbook, right? I mean, right now, now your conscience is perhaps injured, and you're and you're thinking, oh, what am I going to do now? Now, where am I going to shop? Um, you know, maybe we can smirk at it. I met a missionary uh, several years ago who is now making all of his clothes having been in China and ministered to the Christians who are imprisoned, you know. He had photographs and a depiction of a man written out who was a home church leader threatened by threatened beaten mercilessly with nightsticks Uh, by the Chinese government and demanded to stop preaching, he continued. They came and beat him within an inch of his life and took him away to prison. His family didn't know where he was for over a year. Imagine that, you know, your father nearly beaten to death in front of you and then hauled away in, in a car and you don't even know where he is. They bulldozed his house and his brother's house. And his mother's house. He's now in prison, unable to hardly work because of how badly crippled he is. Are my dollars supporting that? Consider you know, what it is that the Lord is saying in this process. You know, we we don't want to be the ones who you know participate in killing the, the innocent or the righteous. There's something in the process for us to consider the need for change in the world around us. You shall take no bribe, for bribe blinds. The discerning perverts the words of righteousness. Don't allow anybody to pay you off. If If you know what should be done, then it needs to be carried out that way, particularly within the court system, but also within our own personal circumstances. You know, I've Watched on a couple of occasions where people that were in trouble tried to buy their way out just please don't tell people I'll do this or that for you bribery very very dangerous thing, really really destructive in perverting what God intended to be justice i I see that you know doing jail ministry as we do you'd get to talk to some of these inmates and you know here's a guy who's you know Got his second drug offense, but it uh, you know, wasn't all that big on the scale of the twenty other guys sitting in the room. But he he's got a court-appointed lawyer, so he's going away. And you got this guy over here, who's you know literally got his third aggravated trafficking charge, selling cocaine to this community right here that we're sitting in, in mass quantity. But because he was selling so much cocaine, he's squirreling money away. So when he gets arrested, he just takes ten grand and pays his lawyer. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to do thirty days in a rehab, pay a five thousand dollar fine, and be back on the streets. That, that's what that's what he's lining up for. I, I don't know if that's a bribe or not, but it doesn't feel like justice. You know what I'm saying? When you can see the way we've allowed the deterioration in our culture. So so much better to just imagine if we just read this and said, "Okay, that's what we're doing right there. That's the way our culture is going to function. The reason we're in so much pain as a people is because we've departed from this right here, God's word. Should not oppress a stranger. You know the heart of a stranger because you are strangers in the land of Egypt. You know, for the people that um, you know want to take these verses out of context and address." the current immigration crisis and say, see right here, we should be allowing this. Uh, you could not come into Israel and teach people to depart from worshiping the God of Israel. You, you would have experienced the punishment that the law requires. You know, people were welcome to come into Israel and live there and be aliens and strangers amongst them, but you could not disrupt particularly the worship of God in that culture, you would experience the punishment of the nation of Israel if you did that. Total compliance to the nation that existed. If you you interfere with the nation's identity or existence, you would be expelled or maybe even executed, depending on what degree you did that. So sure, an, an open and welcoming attitude to bring people in. You know what the greatest goal in all of that was? that they would be converted to the faith. Let them come in, that they would know the truth of the God of the Bible. It isn't a matter of, oh, just come in and we'll just all melt together and become whatever turns out of it. That's not what the Lord was calling for when he laid these principles down. you wanted to come into the nation of Israel, then you were going to have to abide by what was Israel, politically and religiously welcome to have your own views, just don't try to interfere with what already exists. God was wanting to preserve it, the goodness that he was promoting. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 <coughs> says, The goodness of God leads lead you to repentance. You know, the question mark there is not out of context. He's there saying to the people that are reading it, do you despise the love of God when you see him giving it to other people, the grace of God? You loved it when you got it. But now the, the creep, and the criminal next to you is experiencing God's grace poured out on him. Oh, you hate that. And, and the Lord is saying, you know, wasn't it the goodness of God that brought you to repentance? I know it was for me. I suspect if you're sitting here this morning in agreement, it was for you also. Look at verse 10: Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow. Literally, you're going to take the year off, right? Now, if you're thinking, wow, that's incredibly lazy, right? Now, think about this. If you knew right now, this is where we were all going to hit the stopwatch, and you were going to work for the next six years. It just like not a debatable thing. You were going to work for six years, but seven years to the day from today, you were going to stop working for a whole year. If that was going to be the way it was, what would you have to do? Tremendous amount of planning. Saving, Right? being very cautious, being very thoughtful about the whole process. And I can tell you this, no matter what you planned, right, because as the seventh year approaches, you probably got a head full of, ooh, I'm going to have a blast. I know what I'm doing. You know, all the fly fishing gear is in the truck. You know, whatever you're thinking. Somewhere along that year off, the peace and the calm and the quiet Of your heart is going to cause you to think a whole different way. God wants that in the life of these people. And in the process, right, you're going to have to trust God very profoundly that I'm going to be okay. This is going to work out, right? I mean, if it sounds like a good idea to you, you're sitting here right now. What are you going to do on the eighth year? How are you going to gear back into work? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you're going to have to go to the Lord about as a believer and say, "How am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to pray? How am I supposed to prepare? How am I supposed to trust you? What am I how, then, then through that year and then what are we going to do on the other side? All of that fear and anxiety is going to have to boil to the service and get skimmed off from your life until you're trusting God the way that you should be. Follow what he says here. Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce. The seventh year you shall let it lie fallow. No no tilling. But the poor of your people may eat. So anything that grows up naturally, what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. So you know, the animals and uh, the flocks can eat of that. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Now, I've listened to people who... Uh, you know, have taken from this the idea of, okay, right, like crop rotation. Great idea. We'll, We'll plant seven fields. We'll only, or we'll plant six fields. We'll have seven fields. We'll plant six. And what we'll do is we'll shift. So we'll come out, we won't plant in this field. And, you know, next year we'll move. We'll plant in these ones. And then the following year we'll move down another field. So we've always got one field that's lying fallow. Therefore, you know, That's not what God wanted. He wanted the whole process of shut down. Come be alone with me. Learn to trust me. Be freaks to your neighbors. Literally. Right? You know they're they're having a day. Oh, just you know we've come across the border because we love to buy your wheat. It's the best. Well, you better get what you can because next year we're not planting any. What? you're retiring? Nope, we're just taking a year off. You're nuts. (laughs) Well, I'll just buy from your neighbor. You can try, but he's taking a year off too. This whole nation is taking a year off. Boy, that's going to stand out to all those pagan neighbors, right? That are watching. I don't have liberty to share the name of the very large rubbish collection company that's in the area, but their owner is a born-again Christian. And two of my young friends had just started up a business years ago, and they're just going 22-year-old, 100-mile-an-hour, just slinging the work and making the money. And one Sunday morning, They're out headed to the job, and they're walking into the store and getting all their stuff, and in walks this very wealthy gentleman who owns this large rubbish collection company. And they are like, ooh, intimidated, like there's the businessman. And as he gets his couple of items, he looks at my two young friends and says, still haven't learned it, have you? And they said, learned what? He said, you can't make any money on Sunday. And they were stunned. Wait a minute. Your company doesn't work on Sunday? And they went and looked it up. And sure enough, no one in this man's company works on Sunday. Because he trusts the Lord. Wow, that stood out to them. As young men who had been raised in the church but drifted from it and are now going to become you know big industrial giants. And they're looking at men like him. And thinking, someday I'll be like that guy. (laughs) And then they realize, wow, this guy's honoring of God is actually a big part of his success. And that's what's going on here with God and the nation of Israel. As he's saying to them, this is not only to benefit you, and we're going to discuss that a little bit. But he's also saying, I need you to be an example to the world around you. I need you to draw people into me. I need to create a spectacle out of you. I sat with a young man yesterday at the pastor's, or at the uh, men's conference, and he was sort of ashamedly telling me, Oh, well, I I go to the public high school. I really wanted to go to a Christian high school, but, you know, my parents couldn't afford it, and we made the decision, so I'm I'm going to, you know, secular high school. And I said, Awesome. He was kind of baffled. I said, now you get to rebel. And he was like, what? (laughs) The pastor's telling me to rebel? I said, oh, don't get me wrong. No, no, the whole school is all a herd of cows just going one direction. You get to rebel against all of them. You get to be the only true rebel in their midst that tells them off and lives for Christ and goes the opposite direction. And a light went on in his head. And I poured the fuel on that fire and said, "No, no, no. God created. God created that in you. What we call rebellion, okay, we don't want to promote the idea of rebellion in the spiritual sense, but to rebel against what is ungodly, to rebel against sin, that's the greatest encouragement we can give to the young people that are around us. Turn your heart away from this garbage. He left that table inspired with the idea of, hey, this is cool. I can take all this junk that's in my heart, this aggression, and turn it towards a, a thing that is godly. The, the world needs to see we are people who are trusting the Lord, you guys, with our lives, our jobs, our finances. I'm not asking you to take every seventh year off, right? We're in the New Testament sense of things here. But the principle that is laid out for us here is something to examine. You know, you're going to care for these people. You're going to do this with your vineyard. Six days you shall do your work. On the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest and the sun, your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. Everybody needs to be refreshed. The the uh, human body is incredible, as far or you know, the animal kingdom, but the human body, particularly the way that it energizes through just shutting down, that's incredible. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? Just almost out of gas in your car, and just pull over, shut it off, let it rest. Yeah. Half hour, you know, you probably make it up to the gas station. Just watch the needle rise on the fuel tank. Just you can see it in your own life, the times you've taken time off. And God has blessed you and literally refurbished you and strengthened you in the rest. We feel like we're doing nothing. We feel like we're failing. Right? Our culture is so in rebellion to God that the people we admire are the ones that ruin themselves. Isn't that weird? We really do. Oh, look at him. You know He's a gajillionaire. Just, his kids hate him. His fifth wife. You know. Not really a gajillionaire. He's paying it all out in alimony and child support. He I mean, really got nothing. Why do we admire him? Because we worship materialism. That's the big thing. What about the money? Especially as Americans. It's a tragedy. You know, America, a little more than 100 years ago, was known for Christianity. Was known for its missionaries. Was known as the number one producers of Bibles and distributors of Bibles in the world. That's what we were known for. Not today. We lead the world in every sin and every vice. Everybody gets refreshed in the resting. It's distrust of God. It's doubt. It's faithlessness that caused Israel to not obey this. They didn't obey this. God gives them this command and they do not do it. They do not take the time off. 490 years Pass. Right? We've we've all read it, most of us. Four hundred and ninety years past, they haven't taken the year off and God. Says, okay, enough is enough. I'm sending you away into captivity. Right? They don't rest, they're not worshiping, they've come to the place of absolute idolatry everywhere. Sin, sexual perversion, theft, murder. You know, it's like living in well, America. And when God sends them away, it's not a matter of, I am so sick and I am, that's, I'm crushing you. That's not where God is at at all. God is literally all through the process trying to fix the problem and adjust the situation and help them see and send in messengers and do what he can to get them back on track. And they just won't do it. And he finally says, okay, captivity it is enslavement it is. Conquering it is. Why? So that you can rest. Slavery? Rest? Yes. Yes. I'm going to send you into slavery so that the land can rest and you can rest. In, in the process, think about this, you guys. <clears throat> in the process, right? They they are delivered from their idolatry. They never return to idolatry like this again. When they come out of that captivity, the idolatry, they still struggle with sinfulness. They struggle, you know, still struggle with tremendous things. You don't find that national widespread idolatry anywhere amongst them after that. It's all done. Gone. God has purged it out. Now think about this. Rewind the whole thing and think about this in a different light. <clears throat> if these people were taking the seventh day off, and these people were taking the seventh year off, that probably would have had a very dramatic impact on their culture spiritually, don't you think? If you take a year off and spend a year in prayer and study of God's Word, that's going to change you. As a person, it's going to change your neighborhood, it's going to change your culture, it's going to change your state, it's going to change your nation. You're going to be entirely different people if we'll obey God in the process. No? Oh, well, then what you end up being is, you know, rebellious, murderous, perverted idolaters. That God says, oh, we got to deal with this. You're my children, and we've got to correct this situation. This is the statement from the Lord in 2 Chronicles 36, verse 21. He says, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. It was essentially 490 years have passed. You guys were supposed to take every seventh year off, so you owe me 70 years. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take 70 years off. Ready? Ready? Here you go. And they're in Babylon. If you're thinking this is some grand picture of, wow, I've never examined it that way. Look at your own life. I guarantee you God's doing the same thing in your life. I guarantee it. You're not taking time off. You're not resting. You're not breaking away from everything. Just getting your notebook, your pen, and your Bible. And just going to be alone. You're not doing that? No? No? Do you periodically just burn yourself out until you collapse? Are you one of those people? Because that's what's going on. It isn't God punishing you. It's a matter of this is how your your body was designed, right? You guys ever seen any of those old wind up clocks? Right? You no, know, some of you are like what? <laughs> Talking to everyone in the room that's over thirty. <clears throat> It was it was before MP3s. So anyway, and Spotify and uh, anyway, the clock in downtown Bar Harbor, right on the village green, was a mechanical clock that way when it began. It had to be wound once a week. Once a week. You got to be resting. Is it Sunday? Is it Saturday? Is it Wednesday? What's your day off? Maybe it changes every week, right? You have to rest. Spiritually, more than anything. More than anything, spiritually. Oh, yeah, take the, the, the physical day off, right? Put your head on the pillow, sleep the day away, wander around. That's not what God's talking about. you got to spiritually rest. you got to let Him resuscitate you from all that you've been through. You know, this legalism that we see so many people involved in, it's, it's an unfortunate thing that they don't understand that, oh, keeping the Sabbath isn't just so you can be a rule keeper. It's a matter of you need to be refreshed in the process. You need your batteries charged, as it were. Your clock wound. You need to be rejuvenated. Spiritually, more than anything. Physically, also Yes, this great dispute amongst the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Because Jesus isn't following their rules. Jesus confronts them with the issue. And what does he say to them in Mark chapter 2, verse 27? He said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath simply means rest. Rest. We need to rest. Our lives need to be a life of peace. Peacefulness. Let me ask you something. I, I mean, I'm being silly and rhetorical, but you know, you have to answer out loud. Do, do you think that God ever worries? I mean, He has to take care of you, right? Is God like watching you, thinking, "Oh my goodness, what am I going to do here"? Oh, I gotta go make a plan. I need help. I need to oh just say, you know what, I can't, I cannot take Saturday off. This kid is an idiot. If I just take my hands off the wheel, this is gonna be horrible. No. No, he he gave us that example. Right? He, he's not you know having to take a rest in that regard, but he isn't, he isn't compelled. Frantic. Kind you know, oh, we're getting so close to the end. What am I going to do? i really going to cram. That's not where God is at. He is at peace. God is love. God is peace. There's a great peacefulness that he is, that he provides. If we're truly worshiping him, truly worshiping him, that peace becomes part of us. Are you an anxious person? Are you a frantic person? I just want to encourage you that there's a level of relationship with God that is available to you that will bring you peace. It's not neglect. It's not. We've seen those people, right? Life is falling apart all around them and that they just got up and did something. right? Things might be better. Just need a good kick in the pants. That, we're not talking about that. But having enough faith to say, no, God's got it in control. I'm going to take this day off. I'm going to worship Him. I'm going to let Him work in my life. I'm going to let Him minister to me. I'm going to let Him take care of the problems. That's when we truly start getting to the place where we're a child of God. right? I've talked about my daughters. I see my own characteristics. In them, that's caused me to pray and fast for every one of them. I'll never forget the day when I had upset my daughter Abigail. She was perhaps five or six years old. And she's standing in my kitchen saying, Dad, come on. How many times have I said Any of you that know me know these are all my mannerisms. You know what I'm talking about going on and on. <laughs> the hands are going, you know, the body language and the head and just... And I'm looking at myself. Female version, five years old, setting me straight on all the issues, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. There's no saying, Abigail is not my child. <laughs> she shows my characteristics. I was amazed... To see my granddaughter Lacey doing that to me. It's just too upset, can't even fully communicate. Just telling me all about it. If we're truly children of God, one of his greatest characteristics of peace is going to become part of our lives. And it's going to become noticeable. To those that observe us, they will see the characteristics of our Heavenly Father. The peacefulness that he provides, the rest that he wants us to experience, oh, it's very contrary to the world. Very contrary to the world. I don't know if you've ever thought of this. You know what the number one thing that changed all of this for the whole world was? Electricity. The lights don't shut off. Right? Some of you are here camping. Isn't it interesting? How you're like, oh, I'm exhausted. I can't even, 7.30, you know. I just And you go to bed. And then you're up and energized and like, so when are we leaving for the hike? And your friends are like, you're a lunatic. It's 4.30 in the morning. You're like, the sky is all bright. You're functioning with the natural light cycle. We, as a people living in this culture, we have to force ourselves to rest. We have to force ourselves. Listen, this ancient world had to do it. Compelled by their own desires and the sinfulness of the world, they rebelled against God till it destroyed them, and they found themselves in captivity. Oh, there's a freedom that comes with the captivity, but it's the wrong way to acquire it. Amen? Benjamin Franklin was the one that said, experience is a dear teacher. That's not a term of endearment. Like, oh, she's so sweet. Just, experience is just, she's so kind. No, he he was saying, experience is a dear, dear teacher, meaning she's very expensive. You know, we would say in Maine, she's a wicked expensive teacher. Experience. I will never give up any of the lessons that I have learned from the School of Hard Knocks because the tuition was so high. What we had to pay to learn our lessons. So much better to be an academic, right? Don't those people annoy you? I just read it right here, so that's what I'm going to do from now on. Like, what? (laughs) You haven't even run yourself through the meat grinder yet. How could you possibly believe that lesson? (laughs) Well, I read it right there, and it's in God's Word, so I'm going to trust it. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? The guy who's learned his lessons through experience, it's thoroughly ingrained in his person. But why pay that high cost when we could just read what God is saying? Sabbath made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, When we study Hebrews 4 carefully, we discover Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is where we experience this peacefulness. So if we have to go straight forward for the next couple weeks before we're able to take that time off, resting in Jesus, truly resting in Jesus, that'll provide you with a peacefulness that's not compared anywhere else. Hebrews 4, verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Pause there for a moment. His description previous to this is how the nation of Israel, how they tried to accomplish entering into Canaan, the land of rest, through the law, through following Moses, now following Joshua, and they don't get it. They don't accomplish it. The point is the law doesn't provide you with the rest. Following after, okay, oh, you know what? From now on, Sabbath it is. Saturday, that's when I'm going to church. Saturday's my day off. I'm going to be true Sabbath worshiper. You'll find that the law can't provide you with that. The need and the understanding to rest in Christ and from our labor will teach us the things we need to learn, right? But, If you don't have Jesus in that process, forget it. Throw the whole project away. Right? You can't be an unbeliever, a heathen who rejects God and just goes, Oh, what? Prosperity? Sabbath? Take Saturday off? I'm done. Yeah, that's it. I'm taking that day off. Right? Hit the lake on the boat and just, oh, it'll be wonderful. Taking the time off, if you're not worshiping the God of the Sabbath, then forget it. You have to have the peace of Jesus Christ in your life as you're in that rest. Verse 10 continues, For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. But not the physical works. He's he's talking to these people who are trying to accomplish a relationship with God through keeping the law, the works of the law. They're thinking, that's what's going to make me close to God. And here, we're seeing the author of Hebrews, anyway, tell us that's not how you're going to get there. You're going to get there through Jesus Christ. Um, I guess I'll close with this idea. A sinner is not a sinner because he sins. He sins because he's a sinner. It's a little confusing when you put it that way. How about this way? Uh, A horse thief is not a horse thief Because he stole a horse. The man who stole the horse instead stole the horse because he's a horse thief. Do you follow that? Stealing the horse doesn't make you a horse thief. You were a horse thief. That's why you stole the horse. It was in your heart. It was already in your mind. Now flip the thing over. Right? You can't go at this legally, spiritually legally. You've got to pursue Jesus Christ with your heart, soul, and mind until he has changed your heart, soul, and mind. And now you're a Jesus worshiper, which will bring you into the Sabbath that is Jesus. You can't be a Sabbath keeper by simply keeping the Sabbath. Sabbath. You're going to be a worshiper of Jesus Christ. And that will make you a Sabbath keeper. I think that if we boil the whole thing down, you can understand our need for peace. I've shared with you before. Last year, Americans consumed $69 billion in behavioral modification drugs. Mostly antidepressants and anti-anxiety. Antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. $69 billion, right? We throw these numbers around all the time. It just kind of like <clears throat> slips away from us. Like $69 billion, sure. Whatever. What does that look like? <laughs> How about this? $69 billion in behavioral modification drugs. And keep this in mind, it's only Americans I'm referring to. billion, that's $31,000 a minute. right? Remember the last time you had $31,000 in your hand? No? Me either. Imagine if somebody put $31,000 in your hand. And you just took it and put it in the fire. And one minute later, somebody else handed you $31,000. And you just turn around and put it in the fire. And he did that every day, all day. (laughs) That's what we're doing as Americans. I'm not on a big anti-pharmaceutical thing at this minute, but I give you that example to tell you we are a very depressed and a very anxious people. And the reason that we are is because we've rejected the God of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ. We have no peace. Let... Jesus Christ, be your peace. Let him be your peace. Pursue him. Know him. Let him fill your heart and let him lead you into your Sabbath. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Hey, I covered 12 verses. (laughs) And five supportive verses. I hope I covered a big subject for you. Let the Lord touch your heart. Father, I pray that you would minister to us, bless us, keep us, watch over us, protect us, provide for us until we're together again. Lord, we need that continuation of this moment in our lives, in our day today. Help us to just shut our mouths, to quiet our spirit to listen for your voice, to experience your peace. Wash over us. Fill us anew this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.